Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of Kenyatta Barron, a 33-year-old mother of two who was brutally murdered on March 18, 2018 in Riverview, Florida. On the day Kenyatta was murdered, her daughter, 10-year-old Ron Nevea, was also murdered. The murderer in this story was the one who grabbed all the headlines. But what about his victims? This is Kenyatta's story. A lot of people never heard the name Kenyatta Barron. The story of her murder, as brutal as it was, never made it beyond the local news headlines in Tampa and the surrounding suburbs. But in June of this year, 2021, Kenyatta's murder finally made national headlines. But it wasn't because people started to realize how brutal this murder was or the fact that Kenyatta's 10-year-old daughter, Ron Nevea, was also murdered or that her son was also attacked but miraculously survived. It was because now convicted murderer Ronnie O'Neill decided to defend himself in court. And the video of him cross-examining the same son that he tried to kill three years earlier went viral. Now, this video was everywhere. Ronnie's in court, you know, with this suit, and he's yelling at the top of his lungs. He's ranting incoherently. It was everywhere. When it was posted on the Instagram page, The Shade Room, people in the comments were laughing, you know, making jokes, but they didn't know that Ronnie O'Neill was on trial for murdering the mother of his children and his 10-year-old autistic daughter. They didn't know that when they were making jokes that the boy that was on the stand that was being cross-examined was one of his victims, his own son. The name Ronnie O'Neill was everywhere in the headlines, but no one was talking about his victims. Now, I don't blame the public for, you know, their comments and jokes. They they didn't know. It wasn't a well-known case. It didn't have a lot of facts behind it. The video just went viral and people reacted to the craziness that they saw on the video. But I do kind of blame the media. I mean, these murders took place three years ago and none of the major news outlets covered their story. I mean, the same year that Kenyatta and Ron Nevea were murdered by Ronnie O'Neill, 
Shanann Watts and her two children were murdered by her husband, Chris Watts. And their story was everywhere, but not Kenyatta's story. So when the video of Ronnie O'Neill went viral, it was one thing for the gossip blogs and, you know, other sites to sensationalize this case. But for the media to do it was really actually kind of sad. Ronnie O'Neill was the headline. And the only reason why the mainstream media picked up the story was because the video went viral. Kenyatta and Ron Nevaeh's names were buried in the headlines. Just a few sentences, you know, were dedicated to them and what happened to them. But nothing about who they were. And so I really wanted to do this episode about them and, you know, talk a little bit more about who they were before they became part of this sensationalized story that involved their murder. Their murders didn't get the attention that they deserved. Instead, their murderer grabbed the headlines and became the butt of internet jokes. So Kenyatta was born on November 13th, 1984 in Hillsborough County, Florida, which is home to Tampa. And there's very little public information about Kenyatta's early years, but we do know that Kenyatta came from a big family who loved her very much. Kenyatta's friends and family affectionately called her Kiki. She went to elementary school and high school in Hillsborough County. And according to Kenyatta's friends and family, she loved school. You know, education was really, really important to her. After high school, Kenyatta went to Hillsborough Community College. And her family described her as a really loving person who everyone liked. Kenyatta was also a very spiritual person who, according to those, you know, close to her, said that she lived for God in every part of her life. Kenyatta also liked to write. She wrote poetry and she liked to cook. Kenyatta was a really bright light to those who knew her. And she often posted positive affirmations on her Facebook page, you know, because she could just tell she wanted people to be happy and be happy with themselves. Now, at some point, fate would bring Ronnie O'Neill into Kenyatta's life. Ronnie O'Neill was four years younger than Kenyatta. Now, Ronnie's Facebook page said that he went to Hillsborough Community College also. So maybe that's how the couple met, but that information is not out there, so it's not really clear how and when they met. So in 2009, um, the couple gave birth to their first child, and that was Ron Nevea. And Ron Nevea was born with cerebral palsy and autism, which caused her to be nonverbal. Now, having a child with special needs can be challenging for any parent. I know, I'm a special needs mom. But everyone who knew her knew that Kenyatta was an amazing mother. Now, a year after giving birth to their daughter, the couple had their second child, who they named Ron after his father. Now, I'm going to refer to Ron as Ron Jr. for this story, but he was actually Ron the Fourth. So just like Kenyatta, there isn't much information about Kenyatta and Ronnie's relationship. Now, I did see some news reports that state that police had been called to the house before over arguments, um, but that information wasn't really made clear either. Now, the couple lived in Riverview, Florida, which is a suburb of Tampa. 
Now, despite being together for years, it appears that in 2016, Ronnie ended up having a child with another woman. Now, it's not clear what the status of their relationship was like at that time, but Ronnie had ended up getting another woman pregnant. And in 2017, Ronnie was apparently shot. His Facebook page shows images of him in a hospital bed expressing gratefulness for being alive and, and you know, talking about being, being survived, you know, having survived the shooting. But there are also pictures of Kenyatta, you know, by his side while he was in the hospital. And so despite what appeared to be a really rocky relationship with Ronnie, Kenyatta's priority first and always was her children. And like I said, Kenyatta was a great mother. She did everything that she could to protect and provide for her children. Now, by 2018, Ronnie's behavior was changing more and more. He, for several years, had been a member of the Nation of Islam, but Ronnie seemed to be, you know, struggling with his mental health. A lot of conspiracy theories, you know, incoherent rants. Things just didn't seem right with Ronnie. He often told people that he was fighting demons. And when he was saying fighting demons, he wasn't saying it like how, you know, we say we're fighting demons when we're like, you know, battling something internally or something's going on. It seemed like Ronnie was saying that he was like literally fighting demons, not not in the metaphorical sense. So no one really knows what led up to the events of March 18, 2018, but Ronnie O'Neill went from a father and a rapper and, you know, a member of the Nation of Islam to a family annihilator whose son barely survived his attack. So according to reports, on the evening of March 18th, 2018, Ronnie and Kenyatta got into an argument. Now, Ronnie and Kenyatta had apparently disagreed about the family converting to Islam and had been an issue in their relationship. At 11.43 p.m., a call came into 911, and it was Kenyatta, and she was screaming and crying and telling the operator that she had been shot. Now, in the background of the call, the operator can hear, you know, screaming, chaos, a man yelling, and she's asking, you know, for the address, but Kenyatta is, you know, she's just, she's hysterical. At one point in the chaos, the man who we now know, of course, is Ronnie O'Neill, is heard yelling at one of the children. And we don't know which child it is, but he says, you know, get in here and kill this bitch, referring to Kenyatta, the, the child's mother. On the tape, Kenyatta can be heard apologizing to Ronnie and begging for her life. She says to Ronnie, I'm trusting you. I trust everything you do. And Ronnie is heard yelling at her, say it again, say it again. And then Kenyatta is heard screaming before the call disconnects. Now, most of what we know from that night, besides the 911 calls, comes from the only survivor of this attack, his eight-year-old son. Now, I have twin boys, and they'll be eight in October. And so I cannot imagine the trauma that this little boy lived through and will live with for the rest of his life. After Ronnie shot Kenyatta, he tried to shoot her again, but she ran. A prosecutor say that Ronnie beat Kenyatta with the shotgun until she was dead. When police arrived, they found her body on the front lawn of the home. 
Kenyatta's son, Ron Jr., said that after he witnessed his father shoot his mother, that he attempted to run, but he told police that he forgot that his little sister was in the house. Now, after shooting Kenyatta, Ronnie turned his rage onto his children. He went to the garage of the home and got an axe, and then he took his daughter into the master bedroom and started to attack Ronda Bea. He was beating her and striking her with the axe, and he hit her in the back of the head. After he killed his daughter, Ron Jr. said that his father then tried to take a piece of tissue and set it on fire, and then he tried to take Ron Jr.'s T-shirt while it was on him and set it on fire. But Ron said that Ron Jr. said that he ran, and his father ended up cornering him in the kitchen. Ron, Ronnie O'Neill ends up grabbing a knife and stabbing his eight-year-old son. After stabbing Ron Jr., Ronnie then set the house on fire. Now, police believe that he did this to cover up evidence of his crime. Now, Ronnie had also called 911, and when he called 911, police were already en route. And he told the operator that he had been attacked by, quote-unquote, white demons. Police arrived at the home at about 11.49 p.m., and they find Kenyatta dead on the front yard. When police first arrived on the scene, they had no idea that the children had been attacked as well. They didn't even know that they were there. Ron Jr. was gravely wounded, but was able to flee the home and was ended up, ended up being found by a neighbor who took, the, took him to the police. Police found Ron on the front lawn, standing next to Kenyatta's body. And after refusing police orders to get down on the ground, he was ultimately tased and then taken into police custody. When firefighters entered the home and put out the fire, they found the body of Ron Neveo, who was pronounced dead at the scene. Ron Jr. was rushed to a local hospital in extremely critical condition. He had been stabbed multiple times, and he was suffering from burns. Now, while sitting in the back of the police car, Ronnie told the police that, quote-unquote, Kiki was the devil, and that the children were, quote-unquote, the devil's kids. Ronnie was arrested, and he was ultimately charged with two counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. Now, Ron Jr. was gravely injured, but he survived. And four days later, he told police about the horrific events that took place that night. Ron Jr.'s own account of what happened would ultimately seal his father's fate. Ron Jr. told police, you know, about what happened with his mother and father. And, you know, he told them that the argument had started when they were talking about God and religion. Now, once in custody, it was clear that Ronnie O'Neill was suffering from mental illness. He was rambling. He was incoherent. He was disrupting court. He was disrupting the court proceedings. So the judge on the case ordered that he be evaluated to see if he was fit to stand trial. After being evaluated by two separate doctors, Ronnie was found unfit to stand trial and was sent to a psychiatric hospital until, you know, he was ready to stand trial. But in the years that followed the murder of Kenyatta and Ron Nevea, 
their families, you know, really grieved for them. It was a terrible tragedy and a horrible loss of these two innocent people. Ron Jr. began to recover from his physical injuries, but the emotional injuries will never be fully healed. Ron Jr. had his entire family stolen from him in the blink of an eye by the man he thought was there to protect him. His own father had tried to kill him. And just a reminder, he was only eight years old when this happened. On Monday, June 14th, 2021, after years of delays due to Ron O'Neill's behavior, the murder trial finally began. Ronnie, whose behavior was still erratic, even after being hospitalized, chose to represent himself. He wanted to claim self-defense, and his attorneys had told him that, you know, the stand-your-ground law in Florida did not apply to him in this case. But Ronnie didn't care, and he wanted to go with that defense, and so he decided that he was going to defend himself. And so his defense attorneys were seated behind him, and he proceeded to defend himself. Now, it's interesting how someone can go from being unfit to stand trial to defending themselves in court. It's just like, I I know that he, of course, has the right to defend himself, but it's just, you know, it's just odd that he just delayed the trial because he was mentally unfit. And now he is, here he is defending himself and cross-examining witnesses. But Ronnie's defense of himself was completely unhinged and ridiculous. His defense was that he did kill Kenyatta, but only after she killed her daughter and then tried to kill him. Now, isn't that what the Chris Watts said when he initially got arrested? He tried to say that Shanann killed the girls and then he got angry and killed her. It's just kind of ironic that besides the dates that those two things also are kind of in common about these two cases. Now, the worst part, though, about... Ronnie representing himself was that he was able to cross-examine witnesses, including the star witness, Ron Jr. Ron Jr. would not only have to relive the horrible night that, you know, this happened to him, but his attacker would be able to question him in court. Now, Ron Jr. in his testimony recalled seeing his father holding a shotgun and his mother screaming. He told the jury about how he watched his father strike his sister in the head with the axe and how there was blood everywhere. He talked about how his father was chasing him into the kitchen, how his father stabbed him. But like I said, because Ronnie O'Neill was representing himself, he was allowed to cross-examine his own son. Now, Ryan tried to say that there were contradictions in his son's testimony from the things that he had told the detectives over the years, you know, before the trial. But when Ronnie cross-examined his son, who appeared in court with an emotional support dog because he had been going to therapy for what happened, um, when he asked his son if he had hurt him that night, Ron Jr. replied, yes. Ronnie then asked his son, how did I hurt you? And Ron said, you stabbed me. It was really powerful testimony. You know, hearing the events of that night directly from the only surviving witness was really devastating. 
Ronnie O'Neill might be mentally ill, but the terror and destruction that he caused his family is absolutely shocking. Their son's testimony helped to paint a clearer picture of what had happened that night. Kenyatta and Ron Nevea were killed, but no one is 100% sure what caused Ronnie O'Neill to take the actions that he did that night. After a relatively short trial, Ronnie O'Neill was convicted on all counts, and he was facing the death penalty. And so it would be up to a jury to decide if he was going to live the rest of his life in prison or if he was going to be executed by the state. In the penalty phase of the trial, Ronnie decided to get help from his lawyers now that he was facing the death penalty, um, so he didn't represent himself. But his defense tried to argue, you know, that Ronnie had been sexually abused as a child and that somehow contributed to what he did that night. But Kenyatta's family wanted the death penalty. Ronnie had destroyed their life and they wanted him to pay for that. But the jury decided to spare Ronnie's life and he was sentenced to three consecutive life terms plus 60 years for the attempted murder of his son. Kenyatta's family was not happy. They really wanted him to, you know, get the death penalty, and they weren't really happy about life in prison. And when his, when Kenyatta's sister spoke to a local news station, this is what she said. He took a, a disabled little child and her mother in the most inhumane way possible, slaughtered them. If you can't tell me that's worth the life, then I, I kind of lost a little bit of faith in the justice system because if anything, that's worth a life. So even though Ronnie O'Neill didn't get the death penalty, he will at least spend the rest of his life in prison. The story of what happened to Kenyatta and Ron Nevea is just sad. There was never a reason that they should have been murdered by someone that they loved. I hate that there isn't more information about Kenyatta, more about who she was before, you know, she became Ronnie's victim. But this story is just another example of how much the media ignores cases when the victims look like Kenyatta and Ron Nevea. If it wasn't for Ronnie O'Neill defending himself in court and the video going viral, the mainstream media would have never paid attention to this three-year-old case. But even after they picked up the story, it was never about the victims. Many of the media outlets didn't even include photos of the victims. Where is their story? Where's, where's the story about their lives? I believe Ronnie probably fit better into the mainstream media's narrative than his victims. Yes, his antics, you know, in court really contributed, you know, to the reason why his video got so much attention. But there really isn't any reason why his victims weren't equally as headline-grabbing. I tried my best to find as much information about Kenyatta as I could. I really wanted to make sure that people knew that behind the viral video of a crazy man, you know, defending himself in court, that there were two innocent victims that were dead. And one that was left with trauma that will never, ever heal. Kenyatta's son, Ron Jr., was eventually adopted by one of the deputies that worked on the case. 
Not long after the incident took place, the deputy had begun fostering Ron Jr., who, you know, just really needed someone to be there and help take him to various doctor's appointments because of his injuries. And then the deputy and his wife, you know, fell in love with Ron Jr., and a year and a half later, they adopted him. He now, you know, has a different last name, and he goes to therapy to deal with his trauma. And it's not clear whether or not he has a relationship with his mother's family, but Ronnie O'Neill stole everything from them. And their family will never, ever, ever be the same. Kenyatta and her children are the victims in this story. If you saw the video of Ronnie O'Neill and didn't know the name of his victims, you know them now. They were 33-year-old Kenyatta Barron and her 10-year-old daughter, Ron Nevea O'Neill. May they rest in peace. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.